Good morning, church. All right, 8 o'clock service is up and at him, at least three or four of y'all. That's pretty good. Um, before we get into this text, I just want to say a huge thank you to our worship team and AV team. The, the links they go to to prepare our hearts to receive what God has for us. So let's just give them a big, big thank you this morning. And so it's a joy. My, my name is Stephen Pollard. I'm the discipleship pastor here. And what a joy it is, again, um, for me to be able to, to bring this message uh, to you all, what God's laid on my heart. And typically when I have the opportunity to, to preach, um, the boss man is hundreds of miles away. And so I'm not as nervous, but now he's on the front row down here. Um, so a little bit, I, I'm sweating a little bit, Blake. <laughs> um, but again, it's a joy to be able to, to dive into God's word uh, with y'all today. And where we're going to be is we're going to be in Psalm 120. And this psalm is the start of a string of psalms uh, that they're called the, the Psalms of the Ascent. And so what they were written for is several times a year, whether it was uh, Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people would leave where they were from, whether it be Dan or, or Manasseh, and they would make their way up to Jerusalem. And while they were making their way up to Jerusalem to be able to um, lay out their atonement sacrifices, to be forgiven for their shortcomings, to be forgiven for their sins, um, they would prepare their heart on this journey. And the men were required to go on these journeys. The women were not required, but a lot of them would go as well to make their way to Jerusalem, to the tabernacle, in order to meet with God. And in order for them to wholeheartedly meet with God, these psalms were written to prepare their hearts. And so I've, I've started thinking a lot about that, that context as we would go up to Jerusalem in order to thank God for what he saved us from, in order to thank God for what he does for us daily to lay out our atonement and thankfulness that, that we have an eternity with him and that he's created us. And so what this, this string of psalms tell me is like music, it, it means something, right? I was thinking about myself as a parent. Um, right now I'm in a season and, and I've got my bottle of water up here because I coach uh, my twin sons basketball teams and baseball teams. And right now my voice still hasn't recovered from coaching the game on Tuesday night. Um, so I'm still drinking a little bit of water there, but I'm running them to practice and I'm running them to games. Our three-year-old daughter is in gymnastics and about to start dance. So we're, I'm, I'm in the season where I'm a taxi service for my kids. And a lot of times I'm extremely thankful that radios are in cars and CD players and that now we have the fancy music on our phone and Bluetooth and we can pipe it right in. But the reason why we have those things is music's important to us. It means something. It takes us out of a place where we are just task oriented and we can get out of the mindset of, of accomplishing something and just relax and just listen and just be for a moment. It provides that opportunity. Now on Sunday mornings, Judd and this worship team, they go to great lengths to be able to prepare so that we can come into this place, get ready to study God's word, and we can evaluate our hearts. We can evaluate where we are with God. Music means something. And even in this culture, music meant something. They wrote these psalms to be able to sing them to God, to prepare their hearts to go up to Jerusalem 
and meet with God. And so I'm going to ask Judd to come up this morning, and I want y'all to go on a journey with me. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to think about what it would be like if you were from Manasseh, and it's time for the Passover. And we're preparing our hearts to make our way to Jerusalem. So we sing these songs to God to prepare our hearts to meet with Him in this moment. Now open your eyes. Now what I want you to do is stand up. Everybody stand up for me. So as we put ourselves in that place, we're on a journey together, you and me. We're going to Jerusalem. We're preparing our hearts to meet with God. I've asked Judd to lead us in a song. And what I want y'all to do, even though it's 8 o'clock in the morning, even though there's not as many people in this room as there will be later services, I know I can hear you louder than, than 9.30. I know I can hear you louder than 11. But I want us to prepare our hearts, and I want us to sing this song to God. And I want our hearts to be prepared before we dive into God's Word. So Judd, thank you for leading us in this, and let's follow Judd's lead. Judd, y'all can have a seat for me. So are you prepared to go on this journey together? So church, let's, let's walk up to Jerusalem. Let's meet with God. Let's see what he has in store for us as we lay out all of who we are. We give him every ounce of our being as we come home to him. So again, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Psalm 120. And to give you a little bit of understanding about this psalm, I love that this is the first psalm of the ascent because this psalm, you see this prodigal. 
that we can all relate with. We've all found ourselves in a place with, in a moment where we remember who God is. That we find ourselves surrounded with people that we, we shouldn't trust. We find ourselves doing things we shouldn't be doing. We find ourselves in a place that we shouldn't be. And there's God saying, come home. We've all experienced that. Some of us in this room are praying for prodigals that are part of our life. And I love no matter who we find ourselves with, no matter what we find ourselves doing, no matter the places we find ourselves going, God is always there, ready for us to come home. And that's why I love this psalm. It's the first, as they're going up to Jerusalem, they're, they're acknowledging that they are far from God. They're acknowledging that they need to come home. They're going to the tabernacle. And so we're going to read this psalm together here in a moment, but that's the, that's the underlying theme of this psalm is a prodigal coming home, remembering God. And I couldn't help but think, I know the past few weeks that I've, I've preached, you've gotten old childhood stories of, of myself, and, and I'm sorry, you're going to get another one today. Um, but when I was in high school, I was about 15 years old, I was on the JV basketball team, and on a Saturday morning, I went and played in my JV game, and then I got cleaned up, and what we would all do is we would stay for the varsity game right after. And so we stayed and we watched the varsity game, and I'd driven to my school to the basketball game with my friend and neighbor, John. So I'm sitting with John, and we're watching the varsity game, and another friend of mine from school, more of an acquaintance than friend at this moment, comes up to me and says, Stephen, we're going to be having a party at my house um, after the game. Would you like to come over? Um, and I looked at John. I go, hey, I think I'm going to go um, with Tom. And John was like, okay. And this was before uh, kids in the room. This is before cell phones and all that good stuff. So outside the gymnasium at my school was a row of pay phones. So if you ever had to call your parent, you had to have a quarter. Um, so dropped a quarter in the machine, and I called my grandfather. And I said, hey, my friend Tom has invited me to go over to his house. Um, can I go? And I heard a reluctant yes, because he didn't really know who Tom was, but he trusted me. So he said yes. So I go to Tom's house. We're down in his basement, and surrounded by a bunch of people I didn't really know, surrounded by a bunch of people I didn't really trust, and a bunch of people that really didn't have my best interest at heart. I found myself with the possibility of doing things that I shouldn't be doing. I found myself in a place that I shouldn't have been. And I recognized in this moment I should have just gone to hang out with John. Should have just gone home. But I found myself surrounded with all three of those things, with people I shouldn't be around, doing things I shouldn't be doing, in a place that I had no business being. And after a long time of, of being there, wrestling, internally wrestling with, with what to do, the phone rings. And somebody answers the phone, and they turn around and they look and says, is there a Stephen here? And I go, yeah, it's me. And I get the phone, and it's my grandfather on the other line. And he says, Stephen, I want you to be out on the curb in five minutes. I'm going to pick you up. I go, okay, Papaw. I hang up the phone. 
And I walk outside, and I'm sitting on the curb, and my grandfather comes to pick me up. And I get in the car, and I go, how did you know where I was? And so after he reluctantly said yes, he started feeling it in spirit, like this isn't, I don't know this Tom, and I don't know if Stephen needs to be hanging out with him. My grandfather was an extremely protective human being, and I was extremely shocked that he said yes, uh, but he did. And so he looked through my yearbook to try to find a Tom, and he couldn't find a Tom because Tom's real name was George, and he went by his middle name, Tom. So he's like immediately thinking, Stephen's lied to me. He's, he's told me, uh, made up this person, who knows where he's at. So he then started calling friends of mine. And started asking about who this, this Tom is. And so they pieced together information about who Tom was. Tom drove an old 1970s Nova that was orange and beat up, and it had a massive sound system in it. Uh, and so they got that description, and it didn't make my grandfather feel any better. But through that, they figured out what Tom's last name was. They looked in the phone book, got his phone number, got his address. My grandfather calls that Stephen wait on the curb. I'm going to come pick you up. So we get in the car, and he tells me the, the links that he went to to find where I was at. And I asked him, I go, what are we doing now? And he goes, Steve, we're, just, we're going home. And that was it. There was no, don't do that again. There was no punishment. There was no um, admonishment. It was just, we're going home. And for me, thinking back to that story, that I find myself with people I shouldn't be with, when I find myself doing things I shouldn't be doing, when I find myself in places that I shouldn't be. And there's God He's saying, just come home. And so that's what we're going to study in this text today. So what I want us to do is I want us to read Psalm 120 together. It's seven verses. And then we're going to go verse by verse. And we're going to look at what happens with this psalmist. And again, we're on a journey together, church. We are walking from Manasseh. We're walking from Dan, and we're making our way to Jerusalem, up to the temple, up to the tabernacle to meet with God. And this is the emotion as they and as we prepare our heart to meet with him. In verse 1, it says, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides you, deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals from the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents in Kedar. Too long have I lived among those people who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And so again, as we read this text together, he remembers who God is. He finds himself among people he shouldn't be with, doing things he shouldn't be doing, in a place that he shouldn't be. And all that stops him from coming home is the knowledge that he can, repentance. And so we're on this journey, church. We're headed up to Jerusalem. We're going to meet with God, and we're singing this psalm because we've all been there. We've all been the prodigal. We've all been in those Places And now we find ourselves in a season of pursuit of God. And we might be surrounded with others who are prodigals, who are far from God. And they find themselves in these same moments that we've found ourselves in time and time again. And there's God saying, come home. 
So as he's on this journey and they're singing to God, in verse 1, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. So the first thing that happens in this song is that going up to Jerusalem, he remembers God's goodness. And church, I can't talk about that enough. In order for us to be all out in our pursuit of who he is, we have to find ways to remember his goodness, the things that he's done for us. And again, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, that this journey in our pursuit of God isn't always easy. It's challenging at times. It's difficult at times, but it's worth it. And what makes it worth it is those moments as we remember the goodness of God and what he's gifted us. And so this prodigal, he remembers who God is. He remembers the goodness that comes from God. I've been in in ministry my entire adult life, pretty much. Through years of student ministry and now being the discipleship pastor, being at a church that I love, I love the opportunities I have when people make appointments with me and they come into my office and they found themselves at a place where they're with people that they, they, they don't trust. They find themselves in a place that they don't really recognize. They're doing things that they shouldn't do. And I love in the midst of those conversations that they remember who God is. It's one of my favorite things that happens in the midst of those conversations is that we remember the goodness of God together. In verse 2, it says, Save me, Lord, from lying lips, from deceitful tongues. And so he remembers who God is, and he remembers what he needs to be saved from. And what he's saying is he's acknowledging in this psalm, as he makes his way to Jerusalem, he's acknowledging that he's surrounded by people he shouldn't be with, people that are not trustworthy, people that don't have his best interest at heart. And he says, save me from this, Lord. I'm surrounded by lying lips. People that tell me things of this world are better than who you are, they're lying to me. Save me from these deceitful tongues. They are telling me that everything that we are doing is better than what God has for me. We've all found ourselves there. And so we remember the goodness of God. And he said, save me from the lies of this world. I'm surrounded by people who don't want the best for me. And in verse 3, says, what will he do to you? And what more besides you, deceitful tongue? So the thing that he's recognizing is the goodness of God. He's surrounded with, with people of this world that are lying to him and what's best for him. And he recognizes God's justice. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that as we look at God as judge, we look at him a lot of times as a partner. A judge pardons our sins. Even though we're not worthy of it, he pardons that. So he's for justice. And that's ultimate justice for a judge to look at someone and say, I recognize what you did. I know how harmful it was to you and to others. But I love you and I care for you and I want better for you. So you are forgiven. Go and sin no more. God is for justice. And that's what he's recognizing in in this verse, is that God will bring justice, whether it is is judgment on those that don't know who he is, or whether it was judgment in, in our moment of being in front of him and him pardoning us, forgiving us for our sins. 
but God brings justice. As they're making their way to Jerusalem, they recognize the goodness of God, but they also recognize the justice that comes with knowing who God is and the power that only he can wield. We don't have the ability to be judge. We don't have the ability to be partner. We don't have the ability for justice. Only he does. And if he's the only one that has that ability, our pursuit has to be wrapped up totally in him. For us to experience justice is to be aligned with the one that can give the pardon, to be aligned with the one that can bring justice. In verse 4, it says, He will punish you with warrior sharp arrows, with burning coils of the broom bush. And so that when he brings justice, when the people that, that are lying are, are deceitful and they're pulling you away from, from what God is calling you, he's recognizing that, that part of justice is the punishment. And only he has that ability. And so what we deserve is death and torment for eternity. And then God looked at what we deserved and said, I'm going to give you something much better. I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for your sins. He's going to take on every fear, every anxious thought, every struggle, every sin, every doubt, anything that we wrap ourselves in that isn't of him. Everything that condemns us, he says, I'm going to wash it away. He brings actual justice. And so the people are singing to God. There was a moment they were surrounded with people they didn't need to be surrounded by. There was a moment where they were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. There was a moment they found themselves in a place they didn't belong. And God says, I forgive you. There's nothing you can do. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay penance. It's going to be a moment when you don't have to go to Jerusalem, but you take me everywhere you go. And you see, church, we live in a time that we are blessed to be able to walk with God on a daily basis. We're not going up to Jerusalem to meet with him that he's with us right here in this moment. His Holy Spirit dwells right here. So wherever you find yourself today, whether it's close with God or far from him, know what we deserve is death and torment, but what he gave us is grace and peace. No longer do we have to hike up to Jerusalem, but he's with us daily. In verse 5, it says, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents in Kedar. And so where the psalmist finds himself is a place that he doesn't belong. Meshech is a, a Gentile city that is filled with barbarians. That the rule of law has no place there. And it's an extremely individualistic society. They're all about themselves. 
So then taking someone's life doesn't really matter. Taking something that doesn't belong to them doesn't really matter. They're about themselves. And that's where we find ourselves. In a place where we're called to be selfish when God is trying to invite us to be home. He finds himself in Meshech. He says that I live among the tents of Kedar. And so what he's talking about when he's talking about the tents of Kedar, that the, the people of Kedar are nomads. They're Arab nomads that would travel around and, again, had no rule of law. If you stumbled upon them and, and they just thought you weren't worthy to be in their presence, they would kill you. If they invited you to be a part of, of their, their tribe and you would put up tents with them, it was a challenging life. They would take things from you. They would beat you. They would kill you in a lot of, a lot of ways. He found himself in a place he didn't belong. And so again, as I think back to my life in ministry and just the joy that comes with sitting across from somebody and them saying, I remember the goodness of God, but I find myself with people that don't want the best for me. I find myself doing things I shouldn't be doing. I find myself in places that I shouldn't be. You see, in that moment, they recognize where they are, and a lot of times I ask the question, like, how did you, how did you get there? And so many times it, it's doubt that God's big enough to save them. It's doubt that God's big enough to be able to work in their life. And a lot of times they like the people that they're surrounded by. A lot of times, they like doing the things that they shouldn't be doing. A lot of times, they like being in the places they shouldn't be. It's, frankly, it's easier than being right here at an 8 o'clock service on a Sunday morning, walking to Jerusalem to meet with God. And so you recognize where you are. And then in verse 6 and 7, it says, Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, here's the tipping point. And a lot of times when those conversations that I'm having, people recognize the goodness of God, but they acknowledge they're far from him. And I ask them, how did you get here? And we have that discussion. And they want to know, it's like, where do I go from here? And I talk about my story talk about the prodigal son who squandered everything and, and his father was still there willing to welcome him back. I let them know that every single person that sits in these seats on Sunday morning is a prodigal. At some point, we were far from God and God was begging us to come home and we found our way home. You see, that's the challenge. And too many times when I'm in that moment with others, that they recognize the goodness of God. They understand they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. They, they find themselves in places they shouldn't be. But that step towards home is more challenging than going through repentance. 
And so in verses 6 and 7, when it says, Too long I've lived among those who hate peace, I'm for it. He recognizes his sin. I'm for peace, and my father's the only one that has it, and I have to go home. The only thing that gets us there is repentance. And there's going to be moments that we find ourselves in challenging situations. But we get to deal with those challenging situations at the comfort of home. You know, when I was a teenager and I found myself in that moment in the car with my grandfather, awaiting punishment, and all I got was, Stephen, let's go home. It's God. Just tell us, let's go home. So wherever you find yourself today, if you find yourself in a moment where you are far from God, he's saying, come home. If you find yourself at home with God, you recognize his goodness and you're pursuing him, but it's challenging and it's difficult. No, there's no place better than being home. If you find yourself praying for other prodigals that are surrounded in your life, know that God never stops saying, come home. Continue to pray. Continue to talk for them. And as we close, I want to share a story there's a book that, that I absolutely love, and it was written by a mother and a son, uh, Angela and Christopher Ewan. And in this family, uh, the family didn't know who the Lord was. As Christopher got older, he turned away um, from his family. He pursued homosexuality. He pursued, per, pursued drugs and alcohol and a party lifestyle, and he didn't pursue God at all, and he found himself in very dangerous and difficult situations, in places with people that, he, that were not trustworthy. He found himself doing things he shouldn't be doing. He found himself in places that he didn't belong. And Angela's mother was a different kind of lost, had no concept of who God was, she found herself in a marriage that was on the brink of divorce. It was challenging and it was difficult and she didn't know what to do. And so one day she found herself with a priest and the priest gave her a pamphlet and this pamphlet talked about the goodness of God and she, she surrendered her life to God in that moment. Salvation was hers. She came home no longer a prodigal. Now the question is, once you're home, what are you going to do? How are you going to pursue him? How are you going to revel in the excellence and the grace and the mercy of being in relationship with this God that created the heavens and the earth and thought so much of you that he says, I want you come home. So this is what Angela did. She devoted herself to praying for her son each and every day. And as her son fell deeper and deeper and deeper into despair in moments where they didn't know where each other were, she continued to pray. So her response to being home was to give it to God. She was home. Christopher ended up coming home. He ended up turning away from the people that were not trustworthy. He ended up turning away 
from doing the things he shouldn't be doing. He ended up turning away from the places he didn't belong, and he found salvation and comfort in Jesus Christ. And so the reason why I love that book and the back and forth between Angela and Christopher is because it represents where a lot of us have been. Some of us have been in the trenches in difficult situations and challenges over and over again. Some of us have been in a situation where we didn't really even know God was for us. But here, church, this is how I want you to respond today. In the next few moments, as we sing to him, and as we respond to God's word, no matter where you find you're at, if, you're, if you are far from God, today is the day to come home. If you find yourself at home, but it's challenging, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, church, I'm telling you, if you don't know what it means to read the Bible, I want you to respond. I want you to come and talk to me. I'll teach you. If you don't know what it means to pray, I want you to come talk to me. If you find yourself at home, but you don't know what the next steps are, I I want to walk with you. But God's word demands a response. We've made our way from Dan, and we're in Jerusalem, and we're meeting with God. So church, how are we going to respond today? Where do you find yourself? Let's remember the goodness of God and what he saved us from. So church, if you don't mind, I want you to stand with me. If you need to build an altar up here, there's nothing supernatural about this stage, about this altar. But if you need to come forward and you need to meet with God, do it. If you need to build an altar at the seat that you're at right now, build that altar and recognize and remember the goodness of God and what he saved you from and come home. If you need to come pray with somebody, again, I'm going to be in that next step center right across the hallway. And I'm begging and I'm pleading because I love you. There was a time I didn't know what to do with being home. And if you don't know what to do with being home, I want to disciple you. I want to invest in you. God's word demands a response. We're in the tabernacle. We're meeting with God. And what are we going to do, church? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we get to be here in your presence, in this moment, studying your word, looking at the, the, this first psalm of the ascent. So we've made our way to Jerusalem. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to continue to dwell in this place. Lord, help us to respond to you wholeheartedly, whether we are home and we don't know what to do with being at home. Lord, help us to know how to respond. If we find ourselves far from you and we need to come home, Lord, I pray that you will come into the hearts of those that don't know you and they will find peace and comfort. So, Lord, help us to build our altar here in this moment and seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.